Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would continue to teach us, open up your word to us this morning, and teach us your ways. Amen. So how many of you love this story? Yeah. How many of you heard it when you were a child? Yeah, I did. And it's one of those ones, those unbelievable, epic, enormous stories that you sort of don't easily forget. And I remember, I think, as a child listening to it for the first time and thinking, isn't it great to be part of a God who has that victory? It was a bit like my son when he grew up and Manchester United were the only team to support, forgive any other supporters in, in, in the room, and he wanted to be part of that winning team. And it just felt like that a little bit. Of course, you have to put aside the killing and the rampaging and the acquisition of foreign countries, which I'm not going to dwell on today. But God is doing a good thing, working out his promises for his chosen people to possess Canaan and to give them a land that he promised them. But this isn't a story about battles and strategies and overcoming impossible odds. Rather, it's a simple story about responding to God's calling and God's calling us about stepping out and being part of God's. And the next slide, please. Stepping out with the victory or taking on God's victory through faithfulness. God's plan, I think, is rather simple. And it was, in this case, to drive out the enemy. But there were many uh, enemies, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebu Jebusites and a whole lot of others. Joshua, as the leader of Israel, is instructed by God to plan the strategy of conquest. And as it so wonderfully depicts in that little video, it looks like he hasn't got a clue, or mostly he hasn't got a clue, but he's faithful. And as I said, when we see this, we see it is that God instructs Joshua. He just gives him the next move. Notice that it's never the whole story. It is just, in our case, the next day that we're walking. And I wonder whether that chimes with your experiences of God. Not the entire picture, just the next step. Again, Joshua needs to trust God's power to keep his path clear and visible. Again, I think a, le a lesson for all of us to learn. So Jericho is a big city. It's an important part of God's campaign because it is this gateway to the north and south part of Canaan. So the book of Joshua is all about the story of conquest, and it takes seven years. Note that there are lots of sevens in this story. But it's more than just a good read, and I think there are a number of things that we can take from it. So the next slide tells us that it is about remaining faithful, however long it takes, mostly, I think, a lifetime. It is about doing it together. You, are, as an example of that, it's about church. It's that idea of that unity that we have of being together. And it's about setting ourselves apart, but retaining a purpose within, that idea of being undefiled, sort of separate, clean. And of course, it's also about a renewed vision for God, revealing God's power. So if you've got a copy of the Bibles, you need to find page 220. If you want to follow it along, if you can't, um, just listen to it. I'm going to read out some of these passages uh, as we go along. And at the beginning in verse 2 to 5 of chapter 6, 
Again, page 220, it reads, this is God giving Joshua the instructions. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And I don't know whether it's odd to you, but at no point does Joshua ever question God. I can't find it anywhere in that. Joshua is one of those very, very faithful people, um, an example perhaps for all of us. I wonder what you would have asked God if you were having this conversation with him. I wrote some questions down. I, I wrote down, why, God, are we marching and not fighting? He had, these, he had this fantastic army, but they were just going to walk around and around. Why six days and a further circling on the seventh? Why silence and then a shout? And frankly, the only important question to ask is, God, do you really know what you're up to? Perhaps you should have the day off and, and let me, Joshua, have a go for a bit. But Joshua never asks any questions. He simply steps out. And in 6 to 11, we see the authority which the people give Joshua to lead his people. And so in verse 6 through, it says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city, with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpet, and the ark of the Lord covenant followed them. The army, well, sorry, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he and the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. So the people do it together. There is a bond between them. They march around the city, impressed, I guess, by the might of their unity. They hadn't marched like this before. The journey through the wilderness was not a sort of military march. True, there was no trooping of the color precision. But I think it would have reminded them of the unity of being knit together, one group, one purpose, facing a common foe. We wouldn't call ourselves an army today, but rather church, as I've mentioned. The same sort of thing, the idea of strength and purpose of being together. Israel also needed to learn about the importance of being separate from the nations and the people that they would conquer, because as God tells them, the other people were sinful. It's interesting that in Hebrew, um, the word used for this is harem, which the, the NIV translates to devoted. So in verse 17, if you can find that, the city and all that were in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all 
who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. The entire city and all its contents are to be devoted to the Lord. And then in verse 18, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. These things were only to be for God's use, God's purpose for the gold and the silver and the vessels and the brass and the iron and everything was to place it at the foot and at the service of the priests. So 19, all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. But for everything else, all was to be destroyed. Verse 21, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. I can imagine the temptation of Israel after the battle was to take the treasure for themselves. God is saying, I'm more than a conqueror and you must give and keep yourselves separate from sin and the defilement that takes you away from God. And I think this is always a tough message for us, particularly in today's society where we emphasize our needs and our wants and the importance of wealth and accumulation. And I think there is an important message for all of us, however, about giving to God what is God's and separating ourselves from that endless pursuit of wealth because as God says in this passage, it ultimately leads to ruin. So fourthly, we see God's encouragement for his people with a new and a reviewed, a renewed vision, a deeper relationship somehow with him. God is never stingy with his revelation of himself. Think of the way God has revealed himself to you. How did he bring you to know him as your savior and your friend? Since leaving the plain of Moab, Israel has seen much of God going before and behind him. Now at Jericho, he is to reveal more. God is constantly with us. That intimacy of his presence, his dwelling among us, locating, as it were, the Ark of the Covenant that circled the city right in that circle as they, as they moved around. So in verse 7 and also in 9, I'll just read out 7. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And then the next slide. There is this really overarching idea that God is sovereign. He has overcome. Always so difficult for us to understand in our lives, particularly as we go through difficult times. But God is in charge and he has a plan the battle of israel is against god's enemies but it was fought for his people the ram's horn blown by the priests were not military trumpets but jubilee trumpets usually associated with the year of jubilee so this was a religious not a military battle the israelites were learning again and again that there weren't any halfway measures with god he gives everything to those who are faithful, and yet there is an ultimate punishment for those who don't believe. 
He demanded that all the tribes step out, step out for conquest. All the law must be kept. All the meek people must seek God. Here at Jericho, all the people were to shout. And as a result, the city would be utterly destroyed, even to the extent of saying a curse on the future restorers. The number seven, the number of wholeness and completeness, symbolizing this was part of that imagery. Seven days of marching, seven circuits, and on the seventh day, seven priests blowing seven horns. I think this miracle speaks of God's power. Whether or not God uses nature to cause the walls to fall, perhaps an earthquake, perhaps a flood, the fall of Jericho, the event itself was miraculous. God tells them right from the start that his plan is about to happen, and it does. I guess we have a different view of war and the taking of land today, but this is God's plan. And his plan was about purging the land of the godless, barbaric people so that his people could occupy it. Everyone perishes with the exception of Rahab and her household. And this is, in a way, a true holy war and the fulfillment of God's plans. It's not really for me to judge the rightness or otherwise of God's plans. We are asked simply to obey in faith and see God work mightily. As I was reflecting on this passage at this point, I was wondering what plans God might have for us, for his church here in Great Western Park. What is the holy war God wants us to wage here in this place? So the lessons as we finish. For Israel at Jericho are the same for us Christians today, faith and obedience to God's leading, so that we will see the fortress of the enemy of the soul crumble under the mighty hand of God. And that this, it seems to me, was Jesus Christ's purpose set out in 1 John 3. So one final verse, which tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. May God bless you rich, richly as you step out in faith. Amen.